Uh, it's great to begin the year with the Psalms. Uh, the Psalms have been cherished and treasured by God's people throughout history, teaching us God's truth richly whilst touching our emotions and reshaping our disordered affection into good order. Uh, many of our favorite Bible verses, if that's ever an appropriate term to speak of God's word, uh, comes from the Psalms, uh, doesn't it? Uh, who hasn't spoken these words in the darkness of the night with tears in your eyes? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Uh, We love singing the Psalms and praying the Psalms, and rightly so. Uh, But what about the Psalm like the one we have read today? Oh God, break the teeth in their mouth. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like waters that runs away. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime and like the stillborn child who never see the sun. Now, these are shocking words. I don't think we can spiritualize them or weaken this psalm in any way. It is what it says. And we must ask, are we really to pray this psalm? Uh, did the Apostle Paul really meant us to sing this psalm in our gathering when he said, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms? Uh, some people avoid the psalms like today's psalm and will only stick to the psalms that sings of God's praise and comfort. Uh, the great C.S. Lewis described this kind of psalm as profoundly wrong and that we should be wicked if we in any way condoned or approved these prayers. Uh, When I first found out that the passage that I was to preach this week uh, was this psalm, uh, I was troubled. You know, I wanted to call Huey and ask, can I preach next week? I'm just not feeling very well this week. You know, next week's psalm is Psalm 66. You know, shout for joy, all the earth, rejoice, O heavens, tell the earth what God has done. I I can preach that psalm and exhort you to sing that that hymn. Uh, but what about this psalm? Well, whenever we find God's word troublesome, brothers and sisters, the problem is not with God's word, but with us. Our hearts and our minds. All scripture, and not just the bits we find immediately comforting, or our favorite bits, but all scripture, including Shocking and confronting words of today's psalm is breathed out by God and for the reason of it being profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully competent and equipped for every good work. Uh, If you don't remember anything from today's sermon, I hope you remember that. Uh, The word of God is sufficient for all things and is competent to fully equip all of us for every good work. Uh, No matter what your life circumstances are today, where you have been, where you are coming from, the Word of God has the truth, and it will train you for righteousness, to know what is good and evil, and to to seek God's face, and to trust Him and follow Him. So like every other psalm that we love singing and praying, we must also pray this psalm. It has been given to train us in righteousness, to tune our hearts to God's character and His will. And if we avoid it, it will leave a gap, a defect in our understanding of God and his truth. 
Uh, so let's grapple with this psalm today and, and learn what it might mean for us to sing these words, break the teeth in their mouth, and why we can and why we must sing this psalm. Right? That's the aim. So uh, the psalm can be broken into four sections. If you want to have a little bit of a structure of the psalms. In verses 1 and 2, David feels the violence of injustices, especially by the rulers of the world, those who are powerful. He feels the injustices. Then in verses 3 to 5, David laments. He weeps. And both with righteous anger, he, he, he laments the persistence and incurability of injustice. They are such hardened sinners. Uh, which then leads him to indignation. I, 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 he's filled with righteous anger, issuing a passionate prayer to God for the total removal of injustice in verses 6 to 9. And finally, it ends with David's confident hope that there will be final justice in verses 10 to 11. So this psalm is about justice, uh, starting with David's lament and indignation against injustice, finishing with his confident hope that there will be justice. The world will not go on like this forever. If an average Western Christian is asked to describe, describe God he or she will almost certainly describe God as loving, followed by words like compassionate, merciful, welcoming, accepting, and inclusive. And rightly so. But very few Western Christians will immediately think of God's justice as his chief character. Yet the revelation of God as just and righteous forms such a huge part of the Old Testament scriptures that if we asked an average Old Testament believer to describe God, he or she will almost certainly speak of God's righteousness and justice at the top of their understanding of God. And I'm sure for any of you who have suffered unjustly, either at the hands of the powerful or betrayed by those whom you trusted, will understand that longing for justice. And that is what David is um, uh, uh, crying out for in verses 1 and 2. Do you indeed what, decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of men uprightly? No, in your hearts you devise wrongs. You hands out, hands deal out violence on earth. David asks of the earthly rulers. Uh, he describes them like gods because they are people with God-like powers. That's what God, do. God, God does, rule the earth. David asks them whether they exercise their power fairly. And the emphatic answer is no. From their heart, from what they think, to their hands, to their actions, they use their power unfairly. And therefore turn power into violence. David declares that earthly rulers use their authority violently. Now, what made David to dwell upon the injustice of the rulers? Uh, wasn't he a king? Did he experience violence of injustices himself? We would have thought he was a king and a mighty warrior. The superscription of the psalm gives us a clue. Psalm 57, 58, and 59, if you have noticed, say, share the same designation and tune. It says, to the choir master, according to, do not destroy a victim of David. Uh, then Psalm 57 and 59 adds further historical details that David wrote these psalms when he fled from Saul's attempt to murder him. So David most likely wrote this psalm as he pondered 
lamented and felt a righteous anger against the violence of injustice he experienced at the hands of Saul. Uh, when we read the accounts of 1, 1 and 2 Samuel, David spends much time as a fugitive because of Saul's murderous violence against him. Uh, despite David saving Saul a number of times, despite David always being there uh, to rescue uh, the Israelites, Saul continued to pursue David and wanted to kill him. Now, what David experienced, Jesus, the greater son of David, felt it from the moment he came into the world as a baby, all throughout his life and to the end of his life when he suffered many things at the hands of the chief priests and was crucified at the hands of Pontius Pilate. You remember when Jesus came into the world as a fragile baby, another soul-like murderous King Herod sought to kill him, using his power to order a massacre of all the babies under two years old in Bethlehem. Then all throughout Jesus' ministry, the Pharisees and the scribes took counsel together to kill Jesus because he healed a man on the Sabbath. Uh, Matthew 26, verse 59 says, Now the chief priests and the whole council sought false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. Uh, They proceed with a phony trial anyways and succeed in crucifying him to the cross. Uh, What David experienced and what Jesus felt, the violence of injustice, continues on in our world today. Rulers overlooking the widows and the orphans, condoning sex trafficking, accepting bribery, detaining minority groups, beheading Christian believers. And as people belonging to Jesus Christ, we ought to feel the horror of injustice in this world. I think this is one of the reasons why God has given us this psalm, to train us in righteousness. Because we do not not only know what is right and wrong without God's word, we do not know how to feel when we see right and wrong. God has given us this psalm to shape our emotions to function properly so that when we see injustice, we feel the horror of it. We lament at it and respond in prayer with both righteous anger and a deep longing to see justice. Do you have that in your heart? The horrifying and sad reality of unjust earthly rulers is that there is no cure. They are incurable, therefore persistent, and their consequences deadly. Look at verses 3 to 5. Its source is the heart, verse 2. In your heart you devise wrongs. Its origin is from the conception, verse 3, The wicked are estranged from the womb. It's not the environment or just bad education they received or some of the bad friends they made. They they are conceived from the womb to be wicked. Its methods, deceitful, speaking lies. The Chinese government recently locked up evangelical pastor Wang Yi and sentenced him to nine years in prison and seized most of his personal property without a fair trial, asserting that he incited to subvert state power 
and operated illegal businesses. Just as the rulers of Jesus, they sought false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. And the consequences of their wickedness are deadly. Verse 4, they have venom like the venom of a serpent. They are incurable. There is no remedy. Like a snake with headphones, they cannot be stopped. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, as we celebrated Christmas, and as we, most of us enjoyed the holiday and the festivity of the New Year, the Islamic terrorist group released the footage of beheading of 11 Christians in Nigeria. And this was not the first time, nor will it be the last time. In the last few years, hundreds of Christians in Nigeria have been killed, lost their lands and means of livelihood, while the authorities, corrupt with bribery and fearful of Islamic forces, turn a blind eye. They have a venom, like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ears so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. They are so hardened their hearts against God, so closed off their ears, Uh, like a cobra that does not listen to its owner but bites him, they cannot be stopped, they cannot be cured. David laments at such violence of injustices. Jesus lamented at it. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and righteous men. And we should also lament at such violence of injustices. Uh, If you're anything like me, the psalmist cry may not at first immediately strike core with your heart. Because most of us have not really suffered. We live in a fairly peaceful and safe environment. But here is where this psalm trains us in righteousness once again. It reminds us that you're not your own, but you belong to Jesus and therefore the people of Jesus. Uh, The Christianity is not just an individual faith. When God saves us, he does not only call an individual, but he calls us into his people. We ought to remember the violence of injustices suffered by our Nigerian brothers and sisters. Our brothers and sisters in North Korea, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Nepal. Our Chinese brothers and sisters taken off to the concentration camps without a fair trial or without even knowing that has happened. Simply because they obey God and worship Jesus as the Christ. We must join them, weep with them, pray with them, and pray for them. So when we pray this psalm, we are joining and standing with our suffering brothers and sisters in the global body of Christ, and also we join in with the heavenly martyrs in God's heavenly church. Uh, those are saints who are killed for the sake of Jesus. In you know, Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, uh, O sovereign Lord, how long until you will avenge our blood? It's in that light we ought to understand and speak the words that is proceeding in verses 6 to 9. The violence of injustice by the earthly rulers leads David to a passionate plea to God, asking for the total removal of injustice. 
Uh, he uses vivid succession of images, all united by their focus on the final and total removal of unfairness. Like wild animals whose broken teeth render them powerless, like water that flows away and is gone, like weapons that fail, like a snail that melts away, and most terribly, like a stillborn child. Because what is born is a monster. It's not what God intended. It is against God's purpose. These are shocking words, no doubt about it, uncomfortable. Uh, These are the words upon which anti-Christian atheists accuse Christians of being hateful, extremist, and backwards, and the Old Testament God as a murderous monster. It's tempting to say, when we come to Psalms like this, uh, I'm more of a New Testament man than an Old Testament man, like Jed Bartlett in West Wing, if you know. But we cannot drive a wedge between the Old Testament God and the New Testament God. It is sobering to think that although Jesus prayed even for those who crucified him, that's true, he prayed, Father, forgive him, for they do not know what they do. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Uh, It's sobering to think that so far as we know, he never prayed for Judas. He loved him. He gave him every opportunity to repent, yet somehow he knew that Judas' betrayal had to be. And Jesus spoke of Judas as the one doomed to destruction. There is such a thing as hardened sinners. Those who so hardened themselves against God and his anointed one, bent on doing evil, wielding violence of injustices. Uh, To those people, Jesus never shied away from pronouncing one of the most harshest words. Uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 25. Uh, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. You serpents, you brood of vipers, How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Those words come from Jesus. Justice matters to God. Hardened sinners and their wickedness must be judged and destroyed. David prays for it. Jesus prays for it. And we must also pray for it. Not vindictively, but with the fear of God and for the glory of Jesus. Because without the destruction of every unjust and wicked rulers, God's kingdom will not consummate on this earth. Sin and death and evil will continue. For God's will to be done and his kingdom to come, every evildoer and every wickedness must be punished and removed. That's what we are praying for, isn't it? Whenever we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come and your will be done. Let the Father in heaven, his name be hallowed. And that's the big theme of Psalter as a whole, already laid out for us in Psalm 2. You remember Psalm 2? Psalm 1 and 2 stands almost like as a heading, introduction for the whole of the Psalms. As we go through the Psalm, it'll be helpful to keep coming back to Psalm 1 and 2. And Psalm 2 speaks these words. 
Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in the horizon. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations of your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In God's mercy and grace, until the day of judgment, there is time to repent. You can kiss the son. And I want to exhort you to do that if there is any of you here who have not kissed the Son, who have not heard and responded to God's word, as for me, I have set my king on Zion with obedience. So we pray for all people. We even pray for those who persecute us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. We bless our enemies rather than cursing them. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. We know that in God's grace, he can even transform blasphemous Saul and make him Apostle Paul. We pray even for the ISIS terrorists who beheaded Nigerian Christian brothers and sisters. We pray for the Chinese government, the North Korean dictators. We pray for all people. But we must also pray, joining David and the greater son of David, that in the end, persistent, willful, disobedient, wicked people will be judged. That justice will be done. That God will avenge the blood of the martyrs. And that the righteous, those who take refuge in Christ Jesus, those who persevered, Uh, in the fallenness of the world, by faith in Jesus Christ, and sought to do good works in him, and live for his glory, trusting in his kingdom, to be vindicated. And because of Jesus, for he died for sins once for all, and raised to reign at the right hand of God today, and will return to judge the living and the dead, we can be confident. This is the great news of the gospel, that there will be justice in the end. All the injustice that you have suffered in your own life, your parents, someone that you deeply love, our brothers and sisters across the world, there will be justice in the end. Death will not triumph. Sin will not triumph. But Jesus, his righteousness and his kingdom will triumph in the end. How great is that? It is worth rejoicing at. And that's what David saw and rejoiced in verses 10 to 11. That's not a you know, wishy-washy, uh, uh, a, um, sentimental Christianity. There's nothing sentimental about this. Verse 10 is a battle language. When you win, the only way you know you have definitely won is from the spilt blood of the enemy. This is why such a terrible sin, in one sense, bathing your feet in the blood of the enemies, 
is finally a sin worth rejoicing over because injustice will be no more. When God comes and brings in final justice, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more sin. There will be no more injustices. In this world, until that day comes, there is no perfect justice. In 2012, Charles Taylor, former president of Liberia and warlord, was sentenced by an international tribunal to 50 years in prison. Uh, This was the first conviction of a head of state since the Nuremberg trials just after World War II. He was found guilty of aiding and abetting as well as planning some of the most heinous and brutal crimes recorded in human history. And there was a sense that justice had been served. However, the chief prosecutor said in a press conference afterward, and I quote, the sentence today does not replace amputated limbs. It does not bring back those who are murdered. It does not heal the wounds of those who are raped or forced to become sexual slaves. Human systems of justice are crucial to the functioning of society, but they can only do so much. Human justice cannot make right what was wrong. Human justice cannot wipe away tears from your eyes completely. This is the lamentable reality of human justice and injustices. Now think of the 50 million or so babies who are aborted we should actually say killed every year with no one to defend or protect them while the lawmakers and those in authority in our nation allow and even celebrate such practices. Think of the countless number of people who suffer injustice and die without ever seeing their vindication on this earth. But on that day, the day of God's final judgment, the day when God will set everything right, every single one of us, every single human being who has ever lived and ever will live, will stand before the judgment of God. And the evildoers will be punished. God will ask everyone to account for their life, to give an account for their life. There is God who judges. Now that may not sound like great news because on our own, we cannot sing this psalm, can we? When we recognize that there is God who judges. There is a God who knows every secret of my heart and your heart, my thoughts and your thoughts, the actions of my hands as well as actions of your hands. On our own, whether we are victims or perpetrators in the human court, we cannot pray this psalm relying on our own merits because No one is righteous. No, not even one. Left to ourselves, we all come under his condemnation of righteous judgment. Only by grace, we may pray this psalm and find the news of God's final judgment, a news worthy of rejoicing, not terror. Because all who take refuge in Christ are made righteous in the sight of God. Well, if that is you, you can join in and sing this psalm. And I hope that the news of God's final judgment, where God will make right 
every wrong will strike deep into your core and fill you with hope. Even in suffering, even under persecution, even with ruined reputation, whatever you may, you may have suffered, may, are suffering, or will suffer, you will never lose hope. Uh, as I wrestled with this psalm in the past week, I was struck by two things in particular. Uh, the first is my lack of concern for justice. Even as I heard the beheading of brothers and sisters in Nigeria, there was a part of my heart that was cold and apathetic. Uh, to be sure, I can be interested in justice when it concerns me, uh, when it interferes with my petty rights and sense of entitlement. Uh, but this psalm has been teaching me that I ought to long for justice, the vindication of God's name, his will, the triumph of Christ, his kingdom, and his people. I wonder whether you need to learn that also. Uh, The second thing is my picture of the final day. Uh, If you're anything like me, when affluent, comfortable, middle-class Christians think of heaven, we tend to think of celestial serenity, natural beauty, like, you know, Australian beach houses and family reunions. But for many persecuted Christians around the world, those who are locked up in prison, mistreated, never heard, shamed, separated from their family and those they love, they lift up their eyes to God's promise that there will be justice. That God will wipe away their tears. That evildoers will be punished. I wondered whether my lack of thoughts about justice and my lack of concern for justice and, and the vision of my vision of heaven uh, just as a, almost like a holiday destination was because I'm too comfortable in this world. It was because I don't really suffer injustice, not because there is no injustice in the world, but because I refuse to lose anything for the sake of Jesus. Because I never really lose my own reputation for the sake of Jesus. What about you? That's something to think about, I think. Uh, When we sing this psalm, God is tuning our hearts and our prayers to that of Jesus Christ. Because these are psalms of Christ. He's resolved to see the name of God honored for the coming of the kingdom of heaven, for God's will to be done on earth, for the forgiveness of sins, the destruction of evil, and vindication of the righteous. Uh, Well, with that in mind, why don't we finish by praying the psalm together. Psalm 58, the psalm of David. Do you indeed decree what is right, you gods? Do you judge the children of men uprightly? You can join with me in praying this psalm. Verse 2, no, in your hearts you devise wrongs. Your hands deal out violence on earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or of the cunning enchanter. O God, break the teeth in their mouth. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. 
Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of the thorns, whether green or blades, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on earth. Amen.